Hello and welcome to the new and maybe improved bi-weekly uh, BakaCast, uh, where we review anime every couple weeks instead of every week, because I just need a break sometimes. I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Uh, every two weeks. Yeah, right. Hi. Yeah, that's the annoying thing about the phrase bi-weekly and bi-monthly, is that they can mean either every other week or every other month, or twice a week or twice a month, because the lingua- cause the English language is garbage. Yeah, that's why we're bipeds. Ben. You. Give me your hot English language take. Uh, <laughs> English is a mess. Okay. Film at 11. Hi hi. We have we have three different words that all that all make the sound there. Mhm. What is wrong with us? <clears throat> uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, and Aaron is squeaking in the background. Yeah, Aaron's somewhere around here. Uh I, I Aaron as 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 usual Aaron requested I put all the anime he watched up front. Uh, I'm so. actually going to do another request that we do the uh that one question first, too. Oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> okay, fine. Let's start with a listener question first, because why not? Hey, because, if we're going to go to every other week, we can change up the format a bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, no problem. It's fine. So we received a delightful email. Um, I'm not going to say his last name because I'm not sure if he's okay with that. But uh, a delightful email from David. Uh, who says, Congratulations, Dusty. Netflix has made you the head of anime production for 2018. What 30 anime does Netflix need to make? Feel free to split the choices among the hosts. Um, just, for con- just for some context here, uh, a new story came out recently uh, where um, Netflix basically said, like, hey, we're gonna start making a bunch of new original programming and, and licensed programming. Uh, and they're going to focus um, even more heavily in the anime direction. So Yeah, it's that's not so much that they're this. making it as that they're funding some of it. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be producing and or licensing they're going stuff. to be They're going to be a committee without being Japanese. Yeah, so Netflix is more and more basically leaning in to the production side of things. Uh, but anyway... So, uh, I've uh, got my list here. Uh, I I guess I'll go first. I've got, like, a few things. So, I tried to do a combination of, like, you know, obvious fan-favorite sequels, um, or at least fan-favorite to me, and I hope to the people listening to this podcast, some manga adaptations and some just kind of off-the-wall stuff. So, I've got... I really want a Tepu adaptation, um, because I think that sports manga deserves more attention. Uh, in terms of sequels, uh, I would like to see a Chihaya Furu season three because that seems to still be up in the air whether or not that's happening. Uh, same thing with uh, I, probably the holy grail of Western anime fandom, Big O season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that I think only we are going to care about, Star Driver season two. <laughs> And Kyoso Giga Season 2. Uh, as far as some other manga adaptations, I'm thinking of Doro Hedoro, 
uh, Tower of God and Negative Happy Chainsaw Edge. Which, Negative Happy would be more like an OVA series, but, you know, uh, Netflix frequently does sort of smaller uh, shows. Uh, yeah, you, and as for, you, you could do that, like, what, six episodes? Yeah, probably. I think it's like nine chapters, I want to say. Uh, yeah. And for uh, sort of more unusual offerings, uh, my last two that I would like to see would be a Star Fox adaptation. Because I think you could make a pretty good space opera with uh, the Star Fox universe if you had a good writer behind it. And a Dirty Pair reboot. Because, honestly, I think the world needs Dirty Pair again. Uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you on some of those things, like Tepu and Mork Jahiaferu, and yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, here's a thought. Uh, give Soul Eater the Brotherhood treatment. Okay, yeah. I'd, I'd be into that, partly because I've, I've kind of had Soul Eater as one of those, maybe I'll watch it someday, sort of anime. Right, yeah, the problem is, is that the, uh, is that by the, like, is that the last quarter of it, the last quarter of it caught up to the manga, and then they had to make up their own ending, which was... Uh, um, I see. But so, so now, exactly the problem that the first attempt at uh, Full Metal Alchemist had. Exactly, and it was done by Bones, too. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so there was that. Uh, okay, another one. Uh, <clears throat> okay, a classic manga adaptation. Uh, three Three Eyes. I have heard of that one. That would I be interesting. Remember. I mean, it's a the thing about that one is that like that's like long. That's like four hundred chapters. So that would be like a multi season project if you're if you if Netflix was doing it. Uh Oh, it looks like they did, like, an OVA of it, but they never made a proper series, looks like. No, yeah, I, I'm thinking, I'm talking, like, comprehensive. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, uh, let's see, another one, Until Death Do Us Part. Um, I don't know. I've never heard of that one. It's I'm... interesting, but it really drags after, like, the first third. I feel like if you had a decent director, like if it's just a pacing issue, I feel like a decent director at the helm could fix that issue pretty easily. Also, the ending is kind of dumb. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if, uh, again, you know, if if they were allowed to take some license, they could probably change the ending too. But uh, uh, I haven't read the ending yet. But oh, you like haven't. The, the, part, <laughs> the parts that I did read, the parts that I did were really good. Yeah, the the ending, how he defeats the last guy is. <laughs> just, just real stupid. It's it does real seem funny like a too. pretty. It does seem like a pretty neat concept. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I could sort of see how that that could be kind of stupid because the problem was is that they they built up like they built up the big bad to be like just like broken as hell, um, and so they had to come up with some like BS. Not they probably they would have had. I think they wrote themselves into a corner with that one. Yeah, basically they went like near shonen power levels. Oh. So they had <laughs> to start doing uh weird stuff. Uh, uh let's see. Uh 
see. Other ones, uh, uh, anyway, that's all I have off the top of my head. Uh, but if we want to give Ben some more time for, to think, Aaron, do you want to go? Yes. Uh, I got Code Geass Nightmare of Nunnally. Oh, yeah. Cause that'd <laughs> yeah, be that cool. makes sense. I'd really like that one. Um... Because the only thing that could make Code Geass better is to make it even more ridiculous. Yeah, yes. And Nightmare of Nunnally does exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then MX Zero. Yeah, I, I thought about putting that on my list, but I didn't want to deprive that. Of, uh, I didn't want to deprive you of that one, so. Yeah, and then uh, Hoshi no Samadari or Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer. Oh, oh yes. right, yeah, okay, uh-huh. Okay, which leads me to another one of my recommendations, Spirit Circle. D- did that finish yet? Yes. Uh, I need to catch up on it. It's by the same guy that did okay. for the Biscuit Hammer. Okay, yeah, I saw the cover. I'm like, yeah, these character designs look the same as what I saw in Biscuit Hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sigoki uh, Yoko was also pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good gets weird after like after the first third it goes off in a totally different direction yeah yeah it, it does. does oh looks like crunchyroll actually has the spirit circle manga mm-hmm. okay huh um and then Tsukihime properly the an adaptation of the Tsukihime manga yeah and not and not just like the because they made an o because they made a, it was a series or like an OVA of Sugihime and then they then they did like Garden of Sinners was like an alternate uh, universe. They thing? did a, they did a series I think it was like twelve episodes which is like yeah. not enough to properly adapt the uh, the original. Yeah, the original Gar- Garden source. of Sinners is an entirely different story. Okay, um, yeah, it was it like an alternate universe tale because I know it use, uses some of the same characters. I think kind kind of. It's sort of like the the preliminary bit. Yeah. Because Arqueid's power is the same as the main characters in no. Garden of Sinners, I think, isn't it? Cause Shiki's she can, like, power. Un- Shiki. Which is the same name as the main character. And Like I said, it's kind of a prequel. Wait, and it's kind of an Arqueid. I thought Arqueid was that character. Who the fuck is Arque- Arqueid then? The, uh, the vampire lady. Okay. With the golden hair, don't don't worry about it. Anyway, uh, there was supposed to be a Tsukihime <laughs> anime series that ran for twelve episodes many years ago, but that doesn't exist. So this would be an original thing of the manga. All right. I don't know why I got Arqueid confused with Shiki. I thought Arqueid was the one who could see like the threads of existence or no. whatever the heck they were. No, she's oh, the gosh. <laughs> It's fine, Dustin. Uh, but anyway, got, the manga. Got... Got snarled up in good. your Nasuverse lore there, dude. Yeah. yeah. Nasuverse lore is deep and tangled like a seven, like 20 spider webs layered on top of each other. Yeah, so oh, the, yeah. the manga's real good, and I'd actually argue it's better than the uh, visual novel in some parts. I'd say that most adaptations of visual novels are better than the actual visual novel. Yeah, the the Honestly. only problem arises when you have multiple routes, and you have the problem of do we just adapt one route or do we try and mash the others together? Yeah, 
like as much as I like pe- more people to see it, you could never actually adapt Ever Seventeen because it's too no. reliant on that format. It would literally be impossible. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there's <laughs> a bunch of good visual novels that I would love to see adapted, but it just wouldn't work because of how the 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 format works. Yeah. Oh, good. While you guys are mumbling, I did think of a couple of things. Go for it, Larry. All right. Uh, I, I'm having a Kia Asamiya binge, so uh, I'd like to see Silent Mobius finished and Mobius oh, Klein yeah. done. I sort and, of figured. Yeah, and, well, and Mobius Klein done. And uh, the rest of the Steam Detectives. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, there was something else that I was thinking of along the lines of, uh, that really was... Your, oh, uh, it was uh, crest, more Crest of the Star novels, well, right? Well, Crest of the Stars, but I was actually kind of hoping that somebody would actually, and this is going to be a little hokey, but somebody would actually finish Haruhi. I did not realize <laughs> there was more Haruhi. Oh, yeah, the... Uh... Yeah. Like, yeah, because the, the stuff that... I suppose Ki- I shouldn't be surprised, really, but... Because the stuff that QAnnie did was, like... Yeah, they did, like... A like, third? the first... Yeah, like, the first season... The first season was, like... Like, one... Like, was, like, the first novel and a bunch of side stories. And, like, the second season was, like... The endless second aid. novel plus Endless Aid. <laughs> and then... Uh, and oh, yes. Made. Good old Endless Aid. And then there yeah, were... I- I and think then there after was, Endless 8, they kind of burned what goodwill they had. And then there was Disappearance. Well, and then there was Disappearance. But Ooh, then... That was a mixed bag. But, <laughs> oh, Disappearance was good. And uh, then, they, then the Yuki... The Yuki spinoff. That was yeah, on a couple of seasons ago. Oh, yeah. That was just boring. <clears throat> unfortunately. Well, yeah. Um, that's... Like I said, it was not properly done. Yeah, no. But uh, those things, and then uh, yeah, and and then Kyoani just, and then Kyoani made, uh, gosh, what was it? Uh, a Ko, and then they were like, "Hey, we don't actually need Haruhi anymore." No, no, oh. lucky. No, no. Let's, let's let's get the let's get the thing that started this whole mess. It was called Lucky oh. Star. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Here's a okay. Okay, I ca- I've got another... We can just make anime about girls in clubs and then just be rich forever. <laughs> I've got another I've got another somewhat unconventional selection. Uh, another right. unconventional idea. Uh, David Brin's Star Tide Rising. Star Tide Rising. <clears throat> yes. Uh, because the thing about that... Oh, a novel. Okay. Yeah, it's an American science fiction novel about a ship by dol- by uh, genetically engineered dolphins. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm looking at the cover of this book, and there are like future G- GMO dolphins. Yes, looks a and little fishy, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, and it's awesome. And the thing is, is that it's the kind of thing that could only be done as an anime because how the hell else are you gonna make how the hell else are you gonna make dolphin characters? Yeah, yeah, well, specifically make dolphin characters like that look at all not super goofy. Exactly. Also, Aaron, this is the image of it. Like, that is such a old 80s sci-fi novel cover. Oh, God, yes. It is exactly of that era. 
<laughs> I kind of want to make that the, the album art. I live through them. Well, no, it's great. I love <laughs> 80s sci-fi novel covers. Like, I, I love those things. I grew up on Does Asimov and hurt? all Let that. Let me pull it a little harder. Uh, <laughs> but I, I kind of want to make that the uh, album art for this <laughs> week. Even though it does not at all match the normal dimensions I usually have for album art. <laughs> the Terran space, uh, Spaceship Streaker. <laughs> oh god, that's such a bad name for a spaceship. Crewed by 150 uplifted dolphins, 7 humans, and 1 uplifted chimpanzee. Yeah, because you gotta have like the <laughs> like scientist there. I assume the chimpanzee is the scientist. Uh, uh. Anyway, I actually kind of would like to see this, and it, you just know that if this adaptation happened, it would be the nicest Sidonia people doing it. Of course, yeah, that fit. It would a hundred percent be them. The CGI would be kind of wonky, but you'd live with it because the story was decent. Yeah, <laughs> we've been living with a lot of wonky CGI lately. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, does anyone have any any others? Yeah, there's one more. Uh, okay. It's a novel that, and then they got a uh, a uh, manga adaptation. Problem is, is I can't really describe it. Okay. So it's called Goth. What's it it's called? Goth. G O T H. And it has nothing to do with goth things. And in fact, in in the postscript of the book, he says that he was having a hard time coming up with the novel or a title. I have for it. heard of this. Um. And so he just chose goth, and he but he kind of regrets it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, it's I've, kind of I've like heard of this novel. Psychological. It's it's pretty good. I really like it. I actually have um, the manga, and I think the novel as well. Yeah, I I think actually like for, yeah, this goth would actually be a very Netflix show, even um, because it is essentially like a. It would fit neatly into. Six episodes, uh, and it would get in, get out real quick. It, it like good for binge watching. That would actually work pretty well, I think. It's mm-hmm. a solid suggestion. I, I kind of want that now, actually. <laughs> uh, what? Okay, yeah, I don't know anything about goth. It, yeah, uh, it, it's it's really hard to describe, it, but it, yeah. it's like horror psychological. Yeah. The novel contains a series of six short stories about two high school students, a boy who remains unnamed until late in the story, and a girl named Yoru Morino. Both share a similar interest in gruesome murders. Uh, While the stories were originally published in a single hardcover edition, they were later published in two Bunko volumes. Tokyo Pop's release follows the original one-volume format. Yeah, okay, I could see that getting the Netflix treatment, because... Yeah, it's it's very much in their wheelhouse of how they like to do series. Uh, ben, I left you a link. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's okay. the one I was reading from, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it came yeah. up alphabetically. Wikipedia, <laughs> W. W yeah. first. That's, uh, no, anyway. We're not going to go there. So yeah, I think that uh, pretty much covers that oh, man, question. That was actually Oh, they oh, did. I got to find this. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good question actually. Um uh oh yeah, it looks like they did make a feature film. I'll be darned. 2008 Japanese drama film. Ah. Fascinating. Based on the novel Goth. Anyway, so yeah, that was a pretty solid question. Thank you, David. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun to think about. Um 
So yeah, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to the uh, very first uh, thing we're reviewing here. Uh, Children of the Whales, episodes two through three, which uh, three. I caught up on all three of these episodes because um, I didn't watch the first one the first time it came out. Uh, episodes one and two were like pretty solid and interesting world building, and I was really curious to see more of it, and I was kind of excited to see the mystery slowly unravel. And then episode three, three. was a lot of like... Episode three is like the slowest genocide I've seen in my life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it was real weird because, like, I'm, I, I'm thinking to the manga, and I don't think it was that bad, but I think that's because they had to put all the lines into words as opposed to just uh, text <coughs> bubbles. So you could fit a lot of text bubbles on very little movement in the manga. But here, in order for them to finish all of the, the words, they needed all of the enemies to just kind of stand there and do nothing for quite a while. Yeah, it's a bizarre choice. Like, episode two was, I think, really solid. It built nicely off the setup of episode one, where it's like, okay, there are more things going on in the outside world than you think there are there's some suspicious suspicious happenings going on in the whale like it's all fairly typical stuff we've seen before from this kind of genre but it was still like interesting um and yeah and then like episode three happens and i mean first of all it's super weird the thing that bugged me at first was like episode two ends with a cliffhanger with uh, the blue-haired girl, Sammy. Uh, Sam. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically trying to, at two different points, say, uh, that there is there are people coming after the mud whale. Oh no, that wasn't Sammy. That was a uh, Likos. Yeah, Likos, and she just trails off right before she's about to say the important part for. Seemingly, seemingly no reason. No one's actually interrupting her. She just stops talking. Um, I guess to just artificially provide tension. Um, Temporary brain freeze. Yeah, and so because of that, in episode three, everyone is caught completely off guard. Um, and like this, I feel like episode three could have been very effective if this whole attack had lasted, like, five minutes. Like, the the villains come in, they attack, they kill a bunch of people, and then they get out. Uh, and then, like, the survivors are just left completely shell-shocked and trying to figure out what just happened and, you know, picking up the pieces. But instead, it lasts for the entire episode with just the goofiness of these, like, stormtroopers, essentially... Like, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> like, they're supposed to be killing like killing off a bunch of these people, as many as they can, but they're kind of just, like, you know, hanging around. Occasionally, they'll, like, at they'll attack if they feel like it, but sometimes they'll just wait around while they have emotional moments. 
Yeah, um, the, the wait for them to finish their conversations, then be like, okay, I'm gonna attack you now. Is this cool? I, okay, I'm go. gonna walk. I'm gonna walk five step for five steps forward on my own. Like my five buddies are just gonna stand in the background, kind of just watching and you know, chatting, hanging out. Uh, it's it's the most. It feels less like a, an attack and more like a more violent brunch. <laughs> I was going to say, the line is, uh, you done talking now? Good, you can die. It's <laughs> just such a bizarre directorial choice. Uh, I don't... That pretty much rates that episode in my mind completely was bizarre. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why they thought they, this was a good way to direct this particular uh, plot twist. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um... I'm I'm also kind of annoyed by the whole oh the childhood friend just died so that way the main character can get with the mysterious magical girl without any like you know ne- conflict about it. To be Isn't fair, that convenient? To be fair, it also would have been annoying had she been around and the constant like puffing cheeks, blushing. Uh, yeah, I mean like, mm. I mean you could just like not do that dumb trope, I guess. You could, do, you could just avoid both of those instead of... But yeah. Uh, I mean, my main worry is that this is just going to turn into another like generic action show now. I um, give it a couple more episodes and I might ditch it. Yeah, I'm going to give it more of a chance, but I'm not thrilled well, about where this show seems to be taking its premise. Well, I mean, two weeks from now, we'll be sitting here after watching two episodes and going either yay or nay. Especially since it seems to be like, it seems to be like hammering hard on the theme of like, emotions good, fascism bad, which is like, yeah, thanks show. Yeah. No kidding. Like, the part of the manga that I read, I stopped at... I think a little after the or right when uh, Ogi uh, counterattacks and kills the dudes, and I think that's where the manga chapter ended, and that's where I stopped reading. Yeah. For the first time, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this could be pretty cool." And then, the, like episode three had the after part, and it was just like, "Oh, this this actually is kind of dumb now." Yeah, I mean, Ogi's cool at least, but yeah. Mm. Hey guys, we'll just stand here and get murdered because we shouldn't kill people. That would be bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that part was like the dude with the green hair. It's like that. I will. I am now forced to parlay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, that, that's uh, oh. that's not gonna work there. Oh jeez, he's so lame. Uh. And anyway, unfortunately, they let him live. I'll give episode two a four and episode three a two. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I have four and four and two sounds good to me. I haven't watched episodes two and three yet. All right. Well, believe it or not, you only missed a little bit. I'll I'll, I'll give I'll retroactively give episode one a four as well since I caught up on that. Um. Anyway, moving on to Kino's journey, episodes two and three. Let's see here. Uh, episode. I remember episode three. Episode three was a Coliseum. No, no, episode, episode two was the Coliseum. Oh, episode two was the Coliseum. What the heck was episode three? Episode, <laughs> episode ep- three was the giant Dalek. 
Wait, did I yep, yeah. not watch episode three? I, yeah. I feel like I would have remembered that. Yeah, it was the country that moves around. Okay, I think I forgot to watch episode three. I could have sworn I caught up, but apparently, like, I must have saved episode three for later and then completely forgot I didn't end up watching it. Okay, yeah, that must have been what happened. Okay, I'm checking Crunchyroll that right now, and I totally forgot to watch episode three. Whoops. Nice. Yeah, well. uh, I liked episode two, though. Um, partly because, you know, in episode one, we get the very, like, diplomatic Kino. Uh, Kino never fires a single shot in that episode. Like, and in episode two, it's like, no, Kino is a badass who can just murder you without even really breaking a sweat if they really wanted to. See, so the Coliseum is one that they also adapted in the first anime, and they adapted it across two episodes. And the reason they did that is to actually give the characters that were fighting in the Coliseum and the King some actual backstory and character uh, um, characterization. And they kind of just skipped all that in favor of Kino just winning instantly. So on the one hand, um, I can I can sort of see why it would be disappointing to not see that adapted the same way. But having not seen the previous way, I, I kind of liked it uh, just because it, it, I kind of like the idea of Kino as kind of this almost a force of nature that basically went into the Colosseum to enact judgment upon it. Um, and like there was no, there was never any question that Kino would win. It was more of a question of like, what was their goal exactly? And we find out the, their goal was to bring the entire festering tumor of the city like crashing down on itself, I just mixed a couple metaphors. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah, good enough. Um, yeah, well, that's fine. But the thing that annoyed me is that like all of the fights are just Kino standing there and winning. Yeah. In the original, she actually had to like roll and dodge and take cover, and the fights were just much more interesting. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I think that both of those, I think I think both of those methods work for me, or I haven't seen the previous adaptation, but I think they would both work for me, um, but like toward different ends, because like the the original version I think works better towards like if you want to make, uh, if like your the version of Kino there is very much like a sort of character living in the world that is. Um, like that you want to flesh out and show how they are affected by the city around the, by the city that they are entering. Whereas this version of Kino in, in in this kind of adaptation is uh, again a catalyst. They are a something that you cannot stop and uh they are again like they're more like a um i don't want to say natural disaster because kino does not always destroy um in fact kino 
will often, uh, I guess, in, reinforce the um, the values of the city that they visit, much like what happened in episode one. Um, but they're more like almost like a spirit of judgment, I guess, would be more accurate. Uh, and there, those are two very different kinos, but I think they both work for me, at least. Um, I think, I, though, I will admit, I think the difference between the adaptation varieties hurts the prince the most because he kind of shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if if I like my only complaint about this different way of adapting that arc would definitely be that the prince does not get the arc that he probably should have. Yeah. But yeah, I totally understand why you would be annoyed by how they adapted it in this version. Um, but from a personal like perspective, I think I dig both of them for entirely different reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought, I thought the pacing of this episode was very rushed. And I, and I can understand. And now I see why. Uh, but I thought it was a solid episode. I'll give it a four. I will also definitely give it a four. Uh, yeah, I'll still give it a four. All right. Uh, now on to episode three, which I did not watch. My bad. Right. Okay, so episode... Wait, wait, wait. Let's just talk about it next time, because it was real good. Okay. Okay. If Yeah, we'll, we'll save it for next time. We'll talk about three through five next time we come back then. Um, instead, we'll move on to The Ancient Magus's Bride. Uh, which, yeah, this is still a pretty good show. Um, Are we on two and three? Yeah, episode two was where she visits the... Oh, I can't remember what she is. Is it an alchemist or, like, a crafter? Yeah, the, the, uh, mage craft, uh, the mage crafter. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but she's so far my favorite uh, character. Ange- Angelica is her name. Yeah. yeah, Angelica is great. She's fantastic. Um... I love her personality. I love that she... One of the things I love about episode two and also to an extent three is that they start establishing the idea that um, the mage here, Elias, um, it, like in episode one, he's kind of presented as like this sort of very otherworldly, um, above-it-all figure who kind of exists on this different plane of existence not not plane of reality but like he exists in his own tier or when in episode two and three you see characters who like give Elias shit <laughs> yeah they, they <laughs> right yeah because like right because in in yeah in episode one because because episode one is from like is from chise's point of view and like yeah and elias is this like godlike figure almost yeah. Um you know, who who just like rearranges her entire world. Um and then but then episode episodes two and three you see these other people, these other characters pushing back against Elias and calling him you know, and calling him out when you know, when they think he's when they think he's done something wrong. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty great, especially because his reactions are pretty funny. Um, because he's really not a, he's not at all a violent person. He's not at all a, um, arrogant or haughty person. Um, he's just time, sometimes too aloof for his own good. 
um, too lackadaisical for his own good. Uh, so when he gets called out, like he doesn't like get defensive. He like just kind of goes like, "Oh shucks." <laughs> um, uh, and I think the morphing, the sort of cheap, almost chibi esque morphing they do of his features uh, is funny every time. Yeah, it's it's like that in the manga too. Whenever they do the sort of chibi designs, it it's real good, and I'm really glad that they chose to uh, continue that in the in the anime. But yeah, I uh, I really loved um, like just Angelica's workspace. It was a very finely crafted environment, um, and I don't usually notice background design much in anime. But holy cow, uh, there is a lot going on in almost every background in Magus Bride, uh, especially in Angelica's workshop. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there, and it is all detailed, and it all it looks like an actual workshop that someone would do stuff in. <laughs> it is just messy enough to make it look, you know, realistic. Uh, and I love her axolotl. <laughs> That's an adorable axolotl. I think, like, my favorite thing for episode two <laughs> was when Angelica asked uh, Chise if he, if Elias has done anything weird to her. And Chise's just like, huh. No, he said he like, would hey, make uh, me his oh, bride. Me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, excuse I, me, you, you need to be faster and denying that. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, uh, he just asked me to marry him. That's all. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It's, yeah, I like that Angelica is like you took her as your bride, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it was a lot of fun spending more time with Angelica, um, and I liked how they sort of um, fleshed out the magic system and the world a bit there, um, which would then be built upon in episode three. Uh, where the world expansion was more of like the outside and sort of like the mystical parts of this universe rather than the, you know, function of it. Uh, where um, Chisei meets the dragons and sort of learns how they function and, and what their existence is in relation to this world. And also sort of introduces the concept that this is kind of the way, like the golden era of magic is over. And this existence will, like, die out, possibly, like, within her lifetime. <coughs> There's a lot of, like, melancholy in episode three to go along with sort of the um, whimsical fantasy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, el elder dragons that are uh, turning into trees were uh, quite... Uh... Quite an interesting sight. Sharing yeah. dreams, which the sharing dream sequence was even better. Yeah, that was a neat sequence. Um, both because like it helped, uh, it helped sort of um, explain more of what like a a, a slave beggy, <laughs> uh, slave vega slave is. Vega. A slave vega is. I'm a, so I got every so often I'm gonna call her a slave beggy just to piss Aaron off. You aggravate <laughs> um, the hell out of him. But yeah, both because it sort of like explains like sort of what their deal is, at least partially, in that like she has so much magic flowing in her that is that it is literally like um, pouring out of her like a faucet, um, and like in this case, it 
the elder dragon like is able to absorb that to sort of make his passing um more peaceful and and like share in that dream um it's a it's a neat combination of like folding a world building exposition into a character building act um for the dragon and chise um and to sort of like reinforce what uh chise's role in this world is shaping up to be um also the dragon children are adorable and they're like what you mean humans can't fly yet <laughs> yeah yeah because like why don't we jump off there you can fly right she says uh, just like um you evolved no? wings right uh, i left my red bull at home <laughs> <sighs> yeah also we get introduced to echoes yes oh right yeah Echoes, who introduces himself by, like, flying in on a very intimidating dragon and just, like, that locks Chise in its jaws just to mess with Elias. Yeah. Yeah. And be like, hey, dude, look after your apprentice. Yeah. I just walked off with your wife. What do you think? Oops. My dragon could have eaten your bride. Uh... But yeah, I I really enjoyed both of these episodes. Um, I'm liking Magus's Bride more and more as it goes on. Um, both as like a... Because it manages to be like a very kind of like soothing show. And that there's not really a whole lot of plot going on. Uh, but there's a bunch of neat characters interacting with, with each other in front of like like very pretty and detailed environments um and like sort of relaxing um relaxed relaxing mystical adventures uh it, it's a very soothing show um kind of reminds me of snow white with the red hair yeah yeah almost um or or i guess almost like a a less comedic um, more medieval version of um, oh god, what was that show we really liked with the flying witch, witch and yeah, flying witch. Mm-hmm. Though flying witch was even more low key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like uh, yeah, I mean, for when Megas the cat Bride... had to go ahead. Go ahead. I said when the cat had the best lines. I mean, flying witch was definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, Megas Bride will go in and out of sort of, like, slice of life, and then it'll have some plot stuff, and then slice of life and some plot stuff. So it, it really it goes in and out, and it's, it's, it's a nice pace. I know the manga can be a bit slow sometimes, but I think the anime will definitely help with that. Um, yeah. Like the next episode will get a little dark. Um, but... It's it's still gonna be good. Uh, the other thing is the music. Mm-hmm. The music is real good. I love the and, ending theme. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And it changes like scene per scene rather than just uh, like um 
certain yeah. emotions. Like yeah, it, it uh, doesn't feel repeated. I've yet to hear sort of generic filler music like you often get in slice of life shows. Well, that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It, it's it's scored to the to the action. It's it's just not something playing in the background that happens every once in a while to fit what's going on around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real good. So much said for that. Yeah, I, I will give both of these episodes fives. Yes, fives. Mm-hmm. Yes, most of that's the first thing I wrote down when we started talking. All right, so I guess Aaron will leave us now because uh, yeah, Aaron, it is Aaron, time. Aaron's ship has arrived. <laughs> Speaking of ships, Shokaku no Altair, episodes 14 through 15. Uh, where in episode 14 we add uh, another member to the uh, uh, traveling band of characters uh, in the form of like a uh, I think she's like what 14 or 15 I can't remember Uh, Uh, if that yeah a teenage girl who is thrust into the merchant business when her father dies and no one respects her yeah what what I thought was yeah, I thought like like the plan that Mahmoud came up with was really clever. I was impressed by that plan. Yeah, so uh, Mahmoud's plan is actually kind of hilarious, and uh, that like he basically makes a deal with the, this girl because she like she's like at the end of the, her rope. Like no one wants to uh, trade with her anymore because they just don't trust her. Um, they don't take her seriously. And so Mahmoud's like, okay, well, this girl is the sort of person who would totally risk uh, breaking the law to trade with the foreign power. So I'm going to go for it. So he makes a deal with her. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you like a ton of jewelry you can sell and you're going to make it big. Uh, And so she does. But like the goal is not to establish like solid trade and make a bunch of money though that's a nice side benefit the goal is to force the traders like to um you know ship so much precious glass and jewelry that they've got to use a bunch of like straw to you know make sure the items survive the journey which means using a bunch of wheat which then like reduces the food of the enemy army which is like (laughs) oh yeah and and it's hilarious oh and it gets even better because the whole point because because the because the whole point the real like the real point of this plan was yeah after like you know distorting the wheat market just after distorting the wheat market what he does is he he provokes a confrontation between uh, Benedict and the Empire. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he basically, through the forces of trade economics, he, like, manipulates a scenario where the conflict between the two people he wants to have fighting each, each other is basically inevitable. <laughs> it is an extremely Keikaku Dori moment. Yeah. The problem with this episode, although the plot, <laughs> the plot was very, the plot was, like, smart, I really, you know, and and the the traitor girl character was, you know, I liked her. Uh, yeah, she's a good addition. The problem was the pacing was way too fast because it felt like two episodes worth of content compressed into one episode. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that was mostly an issue with the back half where it started rushing a lot. Uh, I think the first half was just right on target. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it blazed through a lot of stuff happening in the second half. Right. I mean, not only, and, and especially, they totally missed an opportunity to have an awesome sea battle. Because, yeah, and then they just, like, time skip through it. <laughs> like, you know, that, that sea battle could have been, like, a whole, like, an awesome episode on its own. Yeah, yep. oh well. <laughs> they, Better luck next time. But yeah, I, I did really enjoy how this was essentially just, it almost, have, Ben, have you ever played, like, one of those, like, economic-based, like, board games with a group of friends? Uh, like like where like where you've got a bunch of resource cards that you're like encouraged to trade with each other and like backstab each other at opportune moments. Oh, like like, like settlers of Catan. Yeah, like settlers of Catan or something like that, or or archipelago or whatever. This this episode felt like someone adapting one of those board game sessions that they played into like an episode of the anime. That's what this felt like. <laughs> Well, which is not which is not a mark against it. I kind of love that it feels like that, <laughs> because like when that sort of stuff happens when you're playing with friends in a board game, it's great. <laughs> um, it, it's it's what make those types of board games so fun in the first place. Is like all the sort of dumb politics that happen, and yeah. Uh, then, then moving right along. Yeah, so this is actually kind of a nice change of pace from the typical formula of like, uh, Mahmoud like starts out on like the back foot and like he gets into a conflict he has to murder some people and there's thoughts sneaking around like this is mostly like mohammed mohammed knows exactly what plan he's going to do and he executes on that plan and like the entertainment of and like the entertaining part of the episode is having that plan slowly revealed to the audience until you go Oh, yeah. It's it's almost like a Sherlock Holmes story rather than like a typical "I'll tell you" episode. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm gonna give it a four because I think, yeah, I think they rushed they rushed through it too fast. That's fair. I can agree with the four. Yeah, I can go four on that one. Then we move on to the next episode. Yeah. Episode uh, 15, um, which is more in line with the, the typical um, uh, Altair style, uh, where you have Altair, where you have uh, Mamet coming into a area where he's kind of like on the back foot and he needs to come up with a clever plan to win over the leader of the foreign nation. Um, who tells except him in front, this, yeah, who tells him up front that that ain't going to happen. Yeah, because uh, good luck, buddy, because this king happens to be a um like heavily isolationist and a libertarian so good luck (laughs) there's been worse but yeah yeah i like i I just I, i just like think of the scene where he says like you know that's just how this world works if you can no longer if you if you can no longer be strong and provide for yourself you go out into the snow and die it's like all right buddy so much for the welfare state. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that, okay, yeah, the, the thing about the welfare, the thing about that is that, like, yeah, his position actually makes sense, given his 
given the, like the, his economic context because like like this is a society like in a country with a severe supply constraint yeah but also like a supply constraint that you know Mamet points out was like largely caused by their like very strict isolationist views it's a self-inflicted wound yeah but yeah, but uh, that's not. It's not libertarian. It's not libertarian. It's not libertarian at all. But yeah. Uh, so but anyway, yeah. Um, I, uh, go ahead. Go part, ahead, Larry. Yeah. The part I like as we're moving along and the negotiations are going on, we find out that the uh, guy from the Empire is there with a little music in the background. Uh, that. The way the tables are turned, and he figures out, you know, okay, fine. Uh, you know, you, you want to be proud, or do you want to be slaves? And uh, he finally gets true to it, and the last thing is like, okay, yeah, I think we're going to side with him. Uh, drag him out to the execution chamber, and the, and the, and the emissary's going, wait a minute, that's, that's not what we agreed on. Yeah. No, no, you can't. One of my favorite lines in this episode was uh, one of when one of Mamut's allies, I can't remember what his name is, but he's like, did our lives just get saved by bird shit? Yep, pretty much. Because <laughs> that's the twist of the episode is that they find out that like this like extremely valuable fertilizer is in plentiful supply on like their northern shore. Yeah. Um, and so they can use that, like they can basically set up a trade line with the... Uh, is it the Torquery? Yeah. Uh, tur- it's, yeah. It's Turkey. 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 Yeah, yeah they yeah. can set up a trade line with Turkey to, like, sell it and make a lot of money. Yeah, um, you know, so bird shit saves the empire. But, yeah, it's... That was one of my favorite lines of the episode, where it's just like, man, we were going to die if it weren't for that bird crap. Um, I also like how, at the beginning, when... Um, Mamut first meets the king. Uh, they bond over their love of falconry. <laughs> yeah, and base and basically and basically have almost like a Pokemon battle, but with birds. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like go. They even say like go Iskandar. <laughs> it's all missing. The only thing it's missing is I choose you. <laughs> or got to have them all. <sighs> yeah, the political intrigue in this one was kind of like okay okay but the ending thing was like yeah uh okay uh take him out back and shoot him it's like i mean you know it's that's that kind of diplomacy hasn't existed for a long time and maybe it needs to have a comeback yeah i mean like the the messenger even says like are are you serious do do you realize what that will like what the consequences of shooting the messenger is yeah you know if i don't come home do you know how many people are going to be upset and he's like i don't care let them come and get me yeah i mean there's a reason why shooting the messenger is taboo yeah well it wasn't taboo well it it, it's assumed it wasn't you know again there was no body so it it was assumed that it happened in this episode oh yeah certainly uh, they just didn't feel the need to show the actual like, yeah, execution, this, uh, which, these you know, two fair. were like, these yeah, the, two were interesting. Yeah, I really, I really liked this episode. I give it a five. Yeah, yes. I will agree with that. 
I, I'll I, give it a five as well. That, that's that's for me. And then we move on to some other confusion. Yeah. Okay, so uh, next up on our review list is Blood Blockade Battlefront Beyond, episodes okay. two through three. Yeah, it goes this way, folks. Uh, I, I, I'm actually, like, enjoying these episodes. Um, they're, like... Again, it's much more episodic than Blood Blockade used to be. Uh, but, like, it's still really enjoyable. Um, I think well, I'm okay with this style. It's not my, my preferred version, but I still really like it. Well, the thing about the, the, thing about the first season was that it was kind of split. Like, half the episodes True. half the episodes were, like, just, like, one-off, uh, you know, one-off adventures of Leonardo and company. And... The other half of the episodes were like the overplot. Um, yeah. So, like the first, these like, okay, like the first episode sort of introduces like, I guess a hook for further pl- for further overplot developments with like yeah. the uh, you know the the American envoy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the these uh, like episodes two and three were basically uh, one off episodes. Yeah, I I really liked both of them. They were both like very entertaining episodes. Um, I really liked the two characters they uh, introduced in um, episode two. The the doctor who uh, like the weird skeleton book thing, and the doctor um, who like the skeleton book basically gave the doctor the uh, ability to um, like this. It saved her life um, in return for making her like a monster basically who can split into split herself into a bunch of different copies. Yeah. Um, so she could like work on treating people more multiple mini me's. Yeah. And of course, since this is blood blockade, uh, she can then combine all those copies to like, go back to something approximating her normal self, but like as a shown character, basically where she gets to do super scalpel attacks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's great. Yeah. yeah, I uh, I like I like the episode for the most part. Although I I had a problem like like uh, some of the action was like really like it it was like it took place in darkness, so it was really hard to follow. Oh yeah, um, I I don't know, I didn't really have an issue, but also like having trouble with like um action scenes in darkness seems to be like a thing with you i'm not sure why I, like i'm not I dissing you at all but i've noticed the, that before i think i i don't know it might be an issue with my uh monitor settings or something like maybe. that maybe gotta uh, crank up that gamma bro yeah but i don't know but just for for some reason like it could have been yeah it could have been or you know could have been like i don't know the like the version uh you know the version of the episode that i downloaded I I watched it on Crunchyroll. Uh huh. Crunchyroll. But yeah, but there were sections of the episode that were like way too dark to way too dark for me to easily follow, and so I'm gonna knock it off a point. I'll give it a four. Um, I'm gonna give it a five. I really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm kind of yeah. Sorry, it just kind of the brain is sliding around here. Also, I will I will always look fondly on an episode that has 
Oh gosh, why can I never remember his name? He's the badass blood mage with the crosses. Klaus. Uh, Klaus. Klaus. Yeah, yeah. I will always, you know, look positively on an episode with uh, uh, Klaus in it um, because he just has such a great design. He's a fun character, and his fighting style is just built on being badass at all times. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. So moving on to the next episode, which man, that is an opener uh, for episode three, where we start out like in um, the uh, he's the dude who has the fishing line power or like tape power, whatever the heck it is. He's in he's in bed with like this blonde haired woman. That's Zap. Zap, Zap. right? So yeah, we we. We open up in Zap's apartment. He's in bed with uh, a um, blonde-haired girl. Apparently, like they've got some like incense on because he's super high. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this witch friend of his walks in and is like, "My cat is missing. Go find my cat." And yeah. he's like, he's too high out of his mind to really respond properly. And the girl who's in bed with him is like, uh, whatever, just forget about your cat. The cat's probably dead or something. And then the witch places, like, a spell on the girl's breasts, and then the girl explodes. (laughs) Uh, Presumably her torso got deleted. Um, Uh, And then she... (laughs) Yeah, right, and then she places another spell on Zap's penis. Yeah, and it's like, if you do not find my cat by the end of today, you will not have that penis anymore. Yeah, uh, which is really happened. the only thing that can motivate Zap at all. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I love the way, like, later in the episode when he's, like, trying to get Leonardo to help him, it's like, he's, he, he calls it uh, his super magnum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Okay. It's all... It's also a nice role role, role reversal when Zap is begging uh, uh, um, Leonardo for help because usually like Leonardo is the one who's like oh Zap save me and Zap like holds it over him as a jerk to him, but in this episode Leonardo like Zap is like please Leonardo I'm begging you for help please and Leonardo's like sorry bro if I haven't seen the cat before I can't help you. And so while that's going on, we then also have like this side plot with like Chain Sumeragi, who, as we all know, I am in love with Chain. Um, and like we first open with her like flying around the city, uh, Leonardo like accidentally like bumps into some gangsters, and he sees Chain like up above. He's like, "Oh, thank God, Chain will save me." Chain looks down, keeps flying away. <laughs> Like, nope, not this week. <laughs> not this time. Although she, uh, she does save him, she does sort of save him later. Yeah, yeah, she gets drinking revenge contest. for him, basically. Uh, yeah. A drinking contest. Um, yeah, by challenging them to a drinking contest, and we get to see a very different side of Chain than we normally do, and it's pretty good. Yeah, especially the end where she and the porcelain goddess are having the long conversation. Yeah, if if you've ever seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I mean, come on, 
of course you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it is extremely reminiscent of the scene where we first meet Marion, uh, where she is drinking this, like, super big, tough muscle dude under the table uh, to prove how much of a badass she is. Yes. Um, I like, I like almost a woman. shot for shot that. <laughs> I like a woman who can hold her liquor. Which, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, fun fact. <laughs> That's actually uh, that's actually an aspect of the main character of Pat Labor. Yeah. Oh, really? Main character Dang. of Pat Labor is a girl who can hold her liquor. Works for me. All right. Well, I guess more motivation to do a rewatch, uh, do a retro review of Pat Labor. I guess. Um, but yeah, I. Do we really need motivation to do that. Yeah, and so while and while that plot is going on, it's also we've also got an intersection of a third plot line involving the dude who can freeze stuff, um, where like this group is trying to assassinate him, and we sort of like see that he's got his own stuff going on like on the side when Libra isn't watching, and he's like got his own personal gang of like, you know, cleanup crew. Steven. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, we, so, like, in between all, like, sort of the goofy stuff happening, we got this more serious plot line where we get a look more into his personal life and, like, you know, that he's not in, he's not entirely as noble as, say, Klaus is, um, or, or that we would have maybe expected him to be, given his association with Libra. Um, which like, that's a kind of like really neat side to him, uh, that I appreciated seeing in this episode. So this episode actually accomplished a lot. It, it juggled a lot of stuff and I think it all worked very well. Um, where by the end of it, I think all of the sub, all, all of the plots in it concluded in pretty satisfying ways and it was all balanced, I think pretty well. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, well, <laughs> I mostly like I like this episode a lot. Uh, it although it felt it felt like three mini episodes interleaved together. Um, yeah, it, it totally did. But also, I kind of liked that. Yeah, <laughs> like it can pull it off well. I, I totally dig that. I don't know, although I think like the overall structure of it felt kind of shapeless. Yeah, I I definitely understand that complaint. Um, it. In a lot of ways, because of the way it was structured um, and sort of what it accomplished, it, it did feel much more like a filler episode um, than the typical like episodic version, episodic episodes of Blood Blockade do. Um, but I think there was a there were enough character moments in it that I didn't really mind if it was just filler for the most part. Yeah, I mean it was um, it was fun. I, I yeah, it, it was fun, but it just like. It's shapelessness like holds it back from being truly yeah. great for me. So I'm Oh not, gosh. I'm, also I, I almost forgot that like this episode introduces like Steven's um like basically maid essentially. Like she she does a lot of the housework. Housekeeper. Um yeah, the housekeeper and she is fantastic. <laughs> She's adorable. She's like this weird, like sort of almost squid looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um She's great. I love her. The kids I hope were, she shows the kid, up more. The, kid, the yeah. kids were precious, too. She's got an adorable family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was so worried that like when the um, assassins revealed themselves that like they had taken her hostage or killed her or something. But no, thankfully that did not happen. Nope, he sent her home. <laughs> he was he was smart. She was a little upset that she got sent home, but uh, I think yeah. in, in retrospect she's probably f- figured out. Oh yeah, this was probably a she'll good understand. Thing. Yeah, this was probably a good thing for me. I'm alive. Yes. Anyway, I'm gonna give this episode a four. Uh, I will give it a five. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. So, uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Junie Tyson, episodes two through three. Um, I think... You mean three and four. Oh, right. Three through four. Right. Duh. Okay. Uh, so episode three, I think, suffered a little bit more than it otherwise would, simply because of its place in... Uh, in the series where it felt very similar to the structure of the uh, previous two episodes where I was like it started to feel like the show was getting kind of into a rut um, with episode three Um, because it follows the exact same structure of like oh we've got the viewpoint character who narrates over dialogue and then gets killed at the end because of hubris uh, <laughs> yeah, this time it's the chicken. Yeah, um, and and while there was some decent stuff in there, it all just felt very samey and like, um, taken on its own. It's a perfectly fine episode, but w- within the context of the stuff that came before, I was just like, man, I really hope there's more to this show than this structure. Which, thankfully, we do get in episode four. Yes. like Which was a significant improvement. <clears throat> right, because episode four uh, mixes up the formula. I mean, although, I mean, it has sections told from, uh, I mean, it's mostly from, uh, it's mostly from uh, Monkey's point of view. Yeah. Uh, but and, even then, I think Monkey's backstory is far more interesting, simply because it's much more nuanced. Right, because the right because like this, like this actually has some thematic meat to it. Because yeah. I mean, because it shows like the pitfalls and trade offs of pacifism. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, it's it's actually like a very. I was actually kind of shocked by how different this episode was from the other ones, um, simply because of how it how it treated um, Monkey's backstory, and that like previously, like every backstory was sort of like oh grim and tragic and gritty and like bloody, like you expect from this dude who made Helsing uh, and Drifters, and with Monkey's backstory, it's actually like kind of subdued in a way. It's really not. It's not really dark. Um, it's not really... Like, I wouldn't really call it dark or gritty or grim. It's just, like, honestly, kind of... Like, aside from sort of her, like, having a literal superpower that makes her good at diplomacy, um, it's honestly kind of a realistic backstory. Like, well, it, she feels like a real character with a history that, you know, I could see happening to someone in this world. Well, except except the thing is, her superpower doesn't actually make her good at diplomacy, because her superpower is, like... I mean, she can, like, cut through rock. She can, like, basically transmute elements or whatever. Oh, um, right, she's got transmutation power. She's got transmutation right. power, 
which in like in the show proper she never uses and in her diplomacy work she never uses her power she just i mean all she does is talk to people uh, you know which is kind of fascinating uh in that you know it wasn't just like she didn't just learn like superpowers from like these monkey guys i guess she learned like yeah it would be kind of funny if the twist really was that, like, oh, no, diplomacy isn't, like, her superpower. She's just super good at it. And her actual superpower is something that no one but her and the audience knows about. Yeah, um, that that would actually be kind of great if they did that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode, and like I liked the conversations she had with uh, uh, Nezumi, um, and I'm I'm really I'm really hoping that the show continues to break out, like sort of break out of its typical episode structure, like what we saw in this one. Yeah, I'm gonna give like I'm gonna give episode three a four. And episode four a five. I'm gonna give episode three a three and episode four a five. Um, moving on to Garo vanishing line, which I am okay. So I know it's only been like three episodes, but this is easily the strongest start a Garo anime has ever had. Uh, the characters are all super solid. Uh, this dude is, I think, my favorite main character, like, main Garo dude, um, in the anime franchise. Uh, sword. Uh, he's just... Sword. That's his name. Yeah, Sword. Yeah, I love that his name is just Sword. <laughs> uh, he, he's got a really fun personality. Uh, I really like his friend, who is a sniper, who shoots bullets that have, like, screaming skulls at the tips of them because it's Garo. Um, I like that his other friend is a femme fatale character who drives a, like, um, friggin', like, skull sports car. Or, no, not sports car, like, muscle car, I believe. And introduces herself to him, like, greets him by, like, running into him on the street as he's, like, flirting with a prostitute. Uh... It, Garo is extremely edgelordy in a way that is really charming as opposed to like eye roll inducing. It, <laughs> it it threads that needle very well. Um and, and honestly I think I like Vanishing Line <laughs> because its modern day setting kind of allows it to sort of, like, really lean into that, like, 15-year-old's notebook sketches aesthetic in a way that um, the other two settings, especially, like, the the historical Japanese setting, didn't really allow it to. Um, whereas, like, in this modern-day setting, it, like, fits a lot more. <laughs> uh, even as it is kind of, like, ludicrous. Um, I... I'm really enjoying this show a lot. Yeah. Well, one thing that was sort of interesting 
one one thing that was sort of interesting, uh, like, was like the uh, like the meat, like okay, like episode two, yeah, the horror of the week was this ath this, this former athlete who had uh, you know who had like basically uh, you know lost the use of his legs in an accident, you know. And was thus, you know, and was thus temp, you know, it was thus like, you know, tempted to become a horror because, you know, because I guess the, you know, the horror, you know, the horror like promised the horror promised them that he could run again. Yeah. You know, you know, so that's like, you know, and and so the thing about that was interesting was that like this guy was a black man, and his race had absolutely nothing to do with his, like, with the nature of his story. Yeah, I mean, like, you could art like, if anything, um, I, I would say that it, it, the one thing it did have to do is that, you know, uh, in America, a, like, a very obviously predominant portion of a lot of different, a lot of specific types of sports um, are black people and and there are and there's a lot definitely a lot of like sort of r- racial and class and sometimes classist baggage to unpack with that sort of thing um, particularly in the realm of say football um, you know track also has that sort of history as well that is something that I'd sort of don't want to get into too much, not yeah, because well, I don't think it's valuable to talk about, but just because I do not, I haven't studied nearly enough about that, so I don't no, want to like well, put my foot in my mouth. Well, that's the thing um, is that that would be reading that would be reading a whole lot into the show that I yeah, don't think yeah, that I don't think was really there because yeah, the, the is, show isn't really interested in examining that. It's it's no. more interested in examining like how someone would fall to a demon and sort of like being, I think more sympathetic to the demon possessed character than most other Garo episodes have been in the past. Right. And, and the thing, right. Just the thing about that, like, you know, if you like rerun, like rerun the thought experiment. Okay. Suppose this was a white guy. Nothing would change about the, about how the episode played out. Absolutely nothing would change because the fundamental fact about him is that he was an at he was like a gold medal a gold medal athlete who suddenly could not run anymore. Yeah. Also, thankfully, like they actually draw the black people in this show not embarrassingly. Like they look like people and not caricatures. Thank God. Yeah, because <laughs> Japan does not have a great history of doing that. Let's say, um, but yeah, I, I appreciate yeah. that Garo did go to an effort to uh, portray some diversity in this city. I'm hoping that it doesn't just stop at that particular episode. I, I hope that you know there are more incidental characters that are black people or like Hispanic people and you know other races. I hope that it's not just like that couple. Which also, by the way, I'm glad that they didn't kill off both both black characters. They actually left the woman alive because it would have been such a Garo thing to kill off both of them, and I'm very glad they didn't, especially because that would not play super well with sort of like the American trope of, you know, the black characters always die. Yeah. Uh, 
it would sort of be an unfortunate coincidence. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I I actually uh, enjoyed this episode quite a bit um, because both the show um, and Sword himself showed a lot of sympathy for the demon possessed. Um, whereas, like in a lot of Garo episodes previously, the people who are get possessed by demons are like just assholes to begin with, or just straight up villain, like evil villains. Yeah. Um, yeah, and. Like, yeah, so episode three actually really mixes up, really mixes things up a bit by making the horror not a person, but a demon-possessed computer. Yeah, that was, that was pretty great, because it almost, like, shifts, it almost, like, shifts genres, um, which kind of, like, is neat that it is showing off how versatile the setting can be, where it can have, like, the sort of um you know uh, character based human drama horror of episode 2 and then like in episode 3 get into sort of the B movie goofy like horror um that you'd see on like the sci-fi channel uh right you know and because... with like this like living computer hey, and not just that but like structurally the show the episode is a is a heist caper yeah yeah it's a heist it's a heist episode <laughs> It's just great. Um, and again, I really like the femme fatale character. Uh, she's a lot of fun. Um, yep. And yes. I, I sort of continues the tradition that is honestly the thing that has shocked me most about the Garo franchise, just because it, traditionally these sorts of shows do not do well with their female characters. Um, and granted, Garo has had plenty of missteps. Uh, I'm looking at you, Crimson Moon, and the whole, like, sexual abuse backstory. Um, but, like, the female characters in Garo are almost, like, all really solid characters who are a lot of fun. Um, and just as cool and badass as the main character. Um, and the same holds true for this lady. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's the thing. It's, it's following the Garo tradition of making the female Makai alchemist, like, the best character in the show. Yeah, she's essentially Catwoman mixed with James Bond. Um, <laughs> and she's pretty great. Uh, and, yeah, I really enjoyed how this episode played out. And I I want to go back to episode two real quick, because I liked how they deftly um, introduced a wrinkle into the world building where in episode two, we find out that that cafe that he goes to, that sword goes to, to eat a lot, isn't just a cafe. It's actually also where like they get their missions and they kind of right. introduce that. And it's like, and it's really like, it just slides that twist in there. And it's like, Oh, of course. Um, it's a wonderful little like, uh, addition. Right, because, like, the, yeah, the waitress, like, when the waitress, she brings them their food, but she also passes notes to them. Yeah. Giving them their orders. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was a wonderful <clears throat> little detail that I loved how they did that bit of world building. Um, and man, I, this show is so fun. <laughs> the other thing, the other n nice thing about this show is that it, you know, it, you know, it feels like, the world feels like, you know, an anime version of an American city. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it 
it it, it feels <clears throat> like sort of anime Chicago. Or New York. Um, yeah, or or New York. Uh, but yeah, which I mean, both of those are very quintessential America metropolises. Um, so it's no wonder why it evokes imagery from from both of those. Um, but yeah, I, again, I, I think that's why it plays so well with sort of the aesthetic that Garl wants to lean into, because those types of cities themselves, I mean, lend themselves to kind of the um, a more darker kind of like edgy aesthetic because there's a grittiness and griminess to them. So like having a car roam around that has like skulls and rib cages like adorning it, like, oh yeah, of course that would exist there. <laughs> of course that would exist in anime New York. Uh... Yeah, so I'm going to give both of these episodes fives. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I enjoyed both of them a lot. Um, and, like, I was already looking forward to Garo Vanishing Line. Um, like, I was already pretty hopeful for it, but it actually, like, exceeded my expectations. Well, so far. So far. I'm really hoping it, you know, continues that trend. <laughs> you know, I said the same thing about Rage of Bahamut as well. Well, so. well, well think about Garo. <laughs> like, the pre- like, the previous... Like, the previous seasons were, like, the foundations were solid. They just, occasion like, they just, like, had, like, a run of, a run of weak episodes in the middle that didn't advance yeah. the plot. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was their, that was their fundamental flaw. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to Inuyashiki, episodes <laughs> one and two. Uh, which, man, this is, um, yeah. This is, this is a heck of an anime. Like, um, I have I have never watched Gantz. Um, I've seen like bits and pieces that Aaron showed me a while back, many many years ago. Um, but I've never watched it, and have never really felt the need to, just because Gantz always seemed like such a such the antithesis of the type of shows that I tend to enjoy. That I was like, no, I'm not gonna. Why would I? Like, even if it's good, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. Um, and so, if you had told me that, like, hey, the creator of Gantz made an anime where the very first episode will make you cry at the end, I'd be like, no, you're crazy. Um, but episode one was so good at establishing, like, the main character's, like, conflict and... Um, like his emotional state that you know you just it, he gets beaten down so much and in such like and not by anything like super big well i mean there's the cancer diagnosis that that one's pretty big but I, honestly <clears throat> the the cancer diagnosis itself is not really the thing that beats him down it is the pinpricks of him getting like cancer and realizing that his family may not even care that the world itself may not even care if cancer takes him in three months because he has left no impact on the world and or on his family and that there will be no difference after he's gone and sort of just the realization of that breaks him down um, and it's extremely 
relatable in the sense of like there are a lot of people myself included i think who have thought about like you know what have i actually added to the world does my existence even matter does anyone care um and that uh and the ending of episode one where he realizes his true potential and um of like the new body he's been gifted by these aliens who just like it happens completely by accident like these there's like this alien race just crash lands and accidentally murders him it's like oh crap uh we need to just rebuild him yeah and the other guy you you notice the dog was smart enough to get out of the road yeah but yeah and like when he realizes the potential of his new body and saves the the homeless guy from being beaten to death and he's like i'm a hero i made a difference in someone's life like i someone cares that i exist uh it's a really powerful moment that I was not expecting it to hit me as hard as it did. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was a very effective episode. Yeah, it's honestly an absolutely fantastic first episode. Um, and a lot more, like, low-key than I thought it would be, given the premise of this show and the person who made it. Um well- well, yeah, interesting, interesting, let's see, uh, let's see, yeah, well, that's the thing about, is that I have, I, I have, like, I watched the, like, Gante anime, I read all of the manga, it was wildly uneven, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what Aaron told me about it, too. His, his opinion, if I recall correctly on Gantz, is that it is very interesting, but also probably bad. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it goes. Uh, it goes. Aaron, it's, it, a, it's actually almost glowing out of Aaron. It goes. Yeah, it's all over the place. Uh, but yeah, this one. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, episode one. You know, yeah, it gets into the head of like Inuyashiki, the the character, and yeah, really great at that. And then episode two gets into the head of the villain. Yeah, whose name is Hero, ironically. Yeah. Um, yeah, this like this one is very much tonal whiplash, but I think in this case it, it works. Like, it's such a contrast. Uh, whereas, like, the first episode is very, like, uplifting. The second episode is extremely bleak. It was, um, it where... was, it was punishing, is what it was. Yeah, where we witness Hero, basically, like, we learned that when he figured out what he was, he used his powers to create chaos, and more specifically, to murder people, because he is, like, literally a sociopath. This is, this is like, almost explicitly spelled out by the show. Um, they don't say the words, but they basically say the diagnosis, is that he doesn't view other people as, like, you know, people essentially. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. That, yeah. That, that basically the like the deaths of like anyone outside of his immediate circle of friends or whatever would basically just like has no emotional effect on him. Yeah, uh, and yeah, the, and the, which culminates in sort of this 
Like, we get hints at it during, uh, um, like, when he goes out to show off his powers to his friend, um, who, ironically, like, sort of lampshading it is a big fan of Gantz, uh, which Hero says, oh, that thing, that manga all about a bunch of, like, bunch of people dying. (laughs) Uh, And, yeah, we get hints of it in that, like, sort of... uh, the time he spends with his friend and then but then we like really learn the true face of it when he just picks a random house and like murders everyone inside it and it's not exaggerated at all um it is very matter of fact in how it portrays the violence um which i appreciate i'm glad that we don't have like a crazy eye villain and like dramatic music going on and like um, a bunch of like frantic cuts and things like that. It's just very, very just presented as like here it is. Um, uh, just just a heads up here: no small children while you're viewing these scenes, please. Yeah, definitely not. Um, if, oh yeah. yeah, this episode <laughs> this episode was horrific. Yeah, uh, Man, thank you. That's it, what's the word I was looking for somebody to utter. Yeah, it's it very much builds up this guy as someone you want to see Inuyashiki just destroy. Um, yeah, this this and, guy hanging from the gallows is not good enough for him. Yeah, which at this point I kind of want to um, uh, read a series of tweets I received from Fathomless Blue when um, he responded to some of the tweets I was making about my positive impressions of Inuyashiki. Uh, so I'm going to read these right now because I think they're like a, a valuable um, sort of counterpoint to my own praise of the series. Uh, he says, uh, Fathomless Blue says, that's personally uh, when I said, um, basically responding to this, uh, these couple tweets I said, um, where episode was episode two was also very good, but like from the opposite direction, it threaded a very fine line of making the villain detect completely detestable without overdoing it, and it didn't rely on the crazy eyes trope. And when the hero meets him, it's this great feeling where you're like, "Yeah, destroy this scumbag, my dude." Um, Fathomless Blue then responded, "That's personally something I've always despised about Oku's works: create an incredibly cynical world full of relentlessly despicable people, just so you can get a thrill out of seeing them get their eventual comeuppance. Not for me." That was basically Gantz in a nutshell. And while this does make an attempt to create a sympathetic character who so far feels like a pure fig leaf to justify his later actions, I can't get past Oku's acidic worldview and revenge thrill fetish. The apparent, the apparent reimagining of Ikiro thing sounds interesting, but Oku is not uh, Kurosawa, and even in the first episode, his traits felt too similar. But hey, the direction and music is top-notch, so I'll, wait, I'll at least wait to hear what, what the consensus is by the end of the show. From what people have told me of the manga, I won't be swayed, but eh, I can always dream, I guess. Um, I think that is a like a good, decent point to make, um, and I think in most cases I would agree with that, um, because I do tend to really dislike it when a creator like fills a world with like just makes a world that is like sort of needlessly bleak and cynical. But I think what I think what makes me like the way it's handled in in Yashiki is that I would kind of disagree that this world is full of relentlessly despicable people and it's really a cynical world at all. It's just like a very normal 
world. Like, Inuyashiki happens to have, like, sort of mundane, like, like relatives that are mundane, like, shitty in a very mundane way. Um, but, like, it, we see, like, other characters who are, like, totally normal and, like, fairly decent people. Um, yeah, right. I'd say... Yeah, because, like... At, Cause like yeah right cause like uh, Shishigami's friend, you know that you know when he shows off his powers to he showed off, shows off his powers to his friend. His friend is like, you know he's like you know after he he's goes really frightened. He, he's horrified. Yeah, uh, and, and also we have that scene like you know that scene in the park with um, the homeless guy. Like yeah, they're of like that thing culminates in a bunch of like really terrible kids about to like murder him explicitly uh, with fireworks. Um, But at the same time, like before that happens, we see him like actually reconcile with, um, I think it's implied it was his girlfriend, possibly uh, ex-wife. No, Um, current wife that they were separated yeah, and like like she's she's taking him back and giving him another chance, um, which I, I think there are equal parts hope and despair um, in this world, which I think is why it works for me because it's not relentlessly one way or the other. Um, it is balanced much like the hero and the villain are. It's the two sides in opposition to each other um, with um, Inuyashiki representing that hopeful side of the world where good things happen um and heroics and good behavior is rewarded and uh hero representing the like deeply cynical and like uh cancerous part of that world uh that attempts to destroy everything that's good about it yeah i mean because like i mean in the context of this world Shishigami is an extreme outlier in his in like in just how awful he is. Yeah, it's um Yeah, I, I like I I I I think it I think it very much differentiates itself from Gantz in that regard. And like granted, again, I I have not actually watched all of Gantz. I've just seen bits and pieces. <laughs> But from what I can, from what from what I've heard, I think Fabulous Blue's description is extremely accurate in describing Gantz. Um, but so far, at least in the first two episodes, I don't think it's an accurate portrayal of what um, of what Inuyashiki is. Um, that might change in the future. I, I don't know. It's only been the first couple episodes, but uh, it, it seems a lot more balanced than Gantz was. Um, and that's why I'm actually liking it as opposed to just like being very put off by it when, you know, from what I've seen of Gantz. Um, yeah, but uh, at the same time, I totally get why someone wouldn't want to watch this show. Like, I get it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, because, you know, uh, yeah, episode two was like, I mean, it was effective as like, you know, as a piece of art, but it wasn't very entertaining. Yeah, like, I think episode two works as a, like, deliberate contrast to episode one. I don't think I'd want to see the stuff episode two did 
repeated throughout the series, I think then, yeah, that I think would be wallowing in it a bit too much. But I think as a contrast to the first episode to set up the hero and the villain before we get into the plot proper, I think it works extremely well. Um, So at this point, like, I am hopeful for the show. I am very interested in what it's doing. Um, But, like, whether or not I will actually like it and continue to watch it will depend very heavily on how the next couple episodes play out and, you know, how they manage that balancing act. Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm going to give episode one a five and episode two a four. I can agree with that, yeah. I'm uh, five and three in. All right, so that'll do it for the anime reviews uh, for this week. Um, I did not watch Yuki Holder or uh, Fate Apocrypha. Uh, I'll probably catch up on both of them eventually. It's just not a priority because these other shows are you know, significantly better for the most part. Um, so I just wanted to focus on them. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to some uh, listener uh, comments that we got from uh, the BakaCast post here. Um, so from episode 344, we've got a comment from Dayriff who says, Just as a heads up, but Netju no Susume isn't a isekai show at all, despite its people playing an MMORPG premise. It's more of a relation. It's much more of a relationship comedy slash drama, where the gag is that since the main characters are interacting through the mass of their game characters, they are both more and less honest with each other since they can only see what each other chooses to present. The RPG world isn't taken seriously on its own. It's purely a place for the characters to communicate. I don't know if it's a show anyone on Bakugas would enjoy, but the characters come off as nice people with a lot of social anxiety, and the lead is a woman in her thirties, so I'm enjoying it. Oh, I may actually give that a shot because I've been hearing some like decent things I've, about it. I've seen the first three episodes and it's very, very good. Yeah, I do actually kind of watch it because one of the things that I had always wished that Sword Art Online would have done, and there were multiple opportunities to do that, especially in the Gungrave arc, um, is... Sorry, not Gungrave. Gungale. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, Gungrave is a completely different <laughs> that would, thing. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Um, but one of the things I, I, I really wish that like um, Sword Art Online had always spent more time on and what it would have done if the writer was, you know, smarter, um, is like diving into the social aspect of like choosing how to present yourself in an rpg world like there's the there's like the quick gag that's made in like the first arc where like oh you've got the cute girl revealed to be like a middle-aged dude who's fat um without any sort of deeper introspection on why someone might want to present themselves as looking different or even maybe being a different gender gee i wonder why someone might want to explore a different gender identity Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's actually it's like so. Yeah. Right. So. But yeah. So the thing about this episode, thing about so Netju, what what it yeah what it has is it has like the main char- like the main characters are you know like a thirty something woman who who's just been like who quits her job after she just gets burned out, uh, and just like so and like spends her time staying at home playing this MMORPG, but she plays with a male avatar. And she falls in with 
and and so you know and so she uh you know she she so she teams up with a uh you know a female uh like she teams up with you know a female character you know basically who's being played by a man so like so so it's a, so it's a man and a woman basically both playing characters of the opposite gender in this MMORPG. Yeah. I'd be really fascinated to see like sort of you know if if they remark upon that other than just like having it be sort of like this gag because like especially like for women in the gaming space there's you know the constant threat of like harassment um from the male fan base like that's a constant in any sort of like multiplayer game yes um, it, it, and so like i there are plenty of women who play male characters specifically to avoid that harassment um so i'd be really interested to see how it like if it goes deeper than just oh isn't it goofy that they're pl- they're both playing the opposite gender or if it like really sort of does any introspection on why that gender play would happen in these sorts of environments. Yeah, well, it hasn't gotten into... It hasn't, like, gotten into the psychology of, like, why this guy is playing a female character yet. Uh, because it's only been three episodes and hasn't really gotten in, into his head much. Like, it spent most of his time... Most of its time in the head of, like, the main female character who's playing, you know, who's playing a male avatar. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> But mm-hmm. yeah, but like it is, it, it it definitely it's treating this as more than just a gag. You know, it is actually exploring some of these issues. But yeah, I'm really interested. I really should catch up on that, or at the very least, watch like the first couple episodes just to see how it is. Because you know, I have been hearing good things about it, and I would like to see people do more with the MMORPG genre than just likes the sort of generic wish fulfillment fantasy that we've sort of seen so far. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'll definitely give that a shot um, for next week. Well, not next week for the next episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. In other news. Uh, uh, yeah. The, uh, among other shows I've seen uh, blend S is an amusing, like, sort of more tropey working. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, where the shtick, the shtick is like that, you know, like the main ca- the char- the main character is this, you know, girl who's like, you know, basically, you know, she goes she to get this job working at this like cafe uh where like all the waitresses, like all the waitresses are basically supposed to play like tropes. So like uh, okay. so she plays the so she plays the sadist, and this other character plays the Emoto, and this other character plays the Tsundere, even though that's not really their true personalities. Uh, yeah. Although she can be rather sadistic. Well, yeah, yeah. What's What's interesting is like, yeah, the main character in Blendess, she's like this, she's like she's like trying to be, she's always like trying to be really nice, you know, and she like want, you know. She's trying to be really nice, but it's just, like, the way she's, like, so socially awkward and, like, her expressions are such that, like, even when she's being nice, like, everybody she talks to thinks that she despises them. <laughs> and, Interesting. And, but, you know, but the thing about it is, is that because, like, she's playing a, she's supposedly playing 
a sadist character, like, when she, like, you know, she's, like, you know, basically giving these, like, giving all these customers, giving these, all these customers, like, this, like, the stink eye, basically, they all, like, like, they all get off on it. (laughs) And so she's really popular, even though everybody thinks that she's, like, treating them like crap. Also, uh, one one show I'll also probably watch to uh, give at least an opinion on, if not necessarily add to the reading list, um, the reading list, the watching list, is uh, 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 World's End Tour, I believe it is, Apocalypse oh, Tour. Girls' Last Tour. Yeah, Girls' Last Tour. Yeah, yes. so I'll, I'll be checking that out as well, so um, we can give our opinions on that. Uh, uh, anyway, next listener question uh, before we go here. Uh, one from Carlos on uh, a post on episode 345. Uh, he says, uh, Trivia, the last two episodes of Princess Principle weren't written by the main writer. He has a bunch of other projects down the line, but, I'll guess, but I guess he'll come back if a Princess Principle sequel is actually announced, which is likely, or so I hope, since the sales aren't bad so far. That explains kind of a lot, actually. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's interesting to know. So uh, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. Uh, uh, once again, uh, um, thank you for listening. Um, you can find uh, you can uh, you can post uh, comments or questions either at www.projecthari.net or www.audioentropy.com. You can also find me at SiltaGM if you want to tweet at me. And things like that. And you can tweet me at DeathSlinky. And you can find me uh, sitting in my chair staring at the computer. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, good luck getting into his house. He is He's filled his yard with mines. Oh, no, no, no. Alligators. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm being environmentally <laughs> you know, helpful here. I'm, I, yeah. I'm recycling. I didn't realize you lived in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Have you stepped outside here recently? I think that's where I am. Ah, good old climate change. Yeah, there's, uh, no, anyway. there's no climate change. Just ask the experts. They know nothing. Uh, you anyway. know, tap, tap dance out of here, boss, before we get into any more trouble. Yeah, yeah so that'll be it for this episode. Um, ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kidabush. Kidabush. Ta-ta for now.